0: Good morning, everyone. I'm actually a little worried that I've come to the wrong place today. I've got this message here about uh, sin and struggle and difficulty, but I'm looking around. You guys have all put on your Sunday best. You've scrubbed up pretty well. Chris has forgot to shave, but everyone else (laughs) looks pretty sharp. Have you ever felt that, though? Maybe you're going through some struggle. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe you've been struggling with sin this week. Maybe you're going through a pretty difficult time at the moment and you look around at others in the church and you go, they've got it all together. No one else understands what I'm going through because you know, they're basically perfect. They don't, they don't have the same frailties that I have. No one understands these difficulties because I'm on my own. I'm, I'm all alone to face them. Maybe you've been in a small group, you're going around the circle, you're trying to apply the word to your life and everyone else's responses they're coming out they're quite good you're sitting there really struggling because you feel maybe you're not up to scratch maybe maybe it's not as easy for you as it is for ever it seems to be for everyone else it's a big myth isn't it though um I'm going to pick on someone who's more mature than me say looking for faces rob rob freeman this passage in in hebrews tells us that sin easily entangles us as Christians surely that's not right surely When you get to the end of your life with Christ, you mature, you've been following him for decades. Surely sin doesn't still easily entangle you. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) My late grandfather used to say, the devil saves some temptations for the final weeks and months. And uh, he shared shared that with me on his deathbed. But it's a reality, isn't it? We are all frail. Hebrews is a book for real Christians, not for fake Christians. If you want to put up a facade, pretend everything's alright, pretending everything for you is always waxy and clean and polished and you've got everything firmly in grasped, Hebrews is not a book for you. Hebrews is a book for people who are weak and need a compassionate high priest. Hebrews is a book for people who are easily entangled by sin, easily weighed down by it before we jump into chapter 12 today of Hebrews, we're coming to the end of the book now and I want to do a bit of a recap on where we've been in Hebrews. I think Hebrews is a book that confuses Christians sometimes. We didn't grow up with the Old Testament thoroughly saturating us. We didn't grow up with all these Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial systems and ceremonies and traditions. And so for us it's a bit alien to us. Maybe you could turn back to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Hebrews chapter 10, 32. This passage of Hebrews, I think, gives us more insight to the book than perhaps any part of the book in terms of the person who wrote the book and their their original readers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God you will receive what he has promised. So this small section of of of, uh, chapter 10 gives us a lot of insight into what the original readers were facing and the reasoning behind the letter. These original readers are Hebrews, they're Jewish Christians, um, first generation within the first few decades after Christ has um, died and risen again. But they're experiencing persecution, severe persecution, because they've converted to Christianity. Some of them have been rejected by their families and their communities as heretics. They've been dragged from their homes, they've been imprisoned, They've been whipped, they've been beaten, some have been stoned, all because of their faith in Jesus. We know that after Stephen was stoned to death, with Saul of Tarsus there watching and approving it, a great persecution arose from the church. Perhaps that's the persecution that's referred to in chapter 10 about these earlier days when you endured in a great conflict. We're not, not sure, but it's a similar situation that these readers are facing. And the letter to Hebrews makes so much more sense knowing that to be the case. Some of these um, new Jewish Christians are struggling with ongoing persecution and suffering and hardship. Some of them are thinking, maybe if I just keep my head down a little, uh, maybe if I just drift along, maybe if I'm not so zealous for my faith, maybe I can avoid the chopping block, maybe, maybe I won't get so much persecution. Others are thinking, well, you know what, it's just all a little bit too hard. I'm actually thinking I'll just go back to Judaism. It's easier. It's what I know. So in the first ten chapters we have this amazing body of theology where the writer says, don't go back. Don't go back to Judaism. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to the law. Jesus is a great and perfect high priest, not a flawed high priest. Jesus offers a better sacrifice. So with these encouragements and great theology also comes some really strong warnings. If you go back to Judaism, if you reject God's ultimate revelation through Jesus, if you reject Jesus as your high priest and if you refuse to accept his sacrifice, there's nothing left for you except condemnation and judgement. You can't expect that there's going to be a clearer or better message come down later down the track. That might convict you instead. There's no other way to God. There's no other sacrifice that can stand in your place other than the perfect Jesus Christ. And so some of the warnings make us feel uncomfortable, but they're really there because the author's pleading with his audience don't go back. I know you're facing severe persecution, I know you've got difficulty. Don't give in and don't go back. And then of course we come to Hebrews chapter 11 which coming straight after chapter 10 with this call to persevere we have these heroes of the faith. These men and women who prove to us, who demonstrate to us, who witness to us by their lives of perseverance that Jesus is worth persevering for, that a life of faith is worth living. And they each had their own struggles, each had their own trials and temptations but by looking forward to their heavenly reward, looking forward to the hope of future forgiveness and glory, they were able to persevere through those struggles. So that brings us to chapter 12 then. I won't be spending much time discussing the second half of the chapter about the mountain of doom and, uh, and so on. Uh, in summary, though, it's very consistent with the style of the earlier chapters and it's drawing a final contrast between the fear and separation from God and guilt that the people experienced at the foot of Mount Sinai. They put a limit up around the mountain said if, if anyone goes across that line, even if it's a little lamb or sheep that strays across the line, kill them by stoning them or shoot them with arrows. If anyone touches that mountain, they must die. This is Mount Sinai, this is the law, this is the fear and guilt of the law. Contrast that with the new covenant in Jesus Christ where we have access in the Holy of Holies with the joy and grace and direct access to Christ. And that's basically the second half of the chapter. Today we're going to instead focus on the first half of the chapter or the first 13 verses in particular. I want a um, bit of a warm-up question for you to think about. The first thing we read about in chapter 12 is a great cloud of witnesses. And uh, Pat's going to get this joke, but this doesn't mean the witnesses are on the internet, but... Sorry, Pat, you're supposed (laughs) to laugh. This great cloud of witnesses. This refers refers to all the saints of the past who've, who've lived a life of faith and who witness to us by their perseverance. Sometimes we refer to these people in Hebrews 11 as heroes of the faith. But I wonder, apart from these Old Testament saints, do you have um, people in your life that have been an encouragement to you? They might have already passed away. They might be still alive. Um, it might be someone who encouraged you a long time ago or someone who's a very recent source of encouragement. I just want to give you a few, minute, few moments now. You might like to close your eyes to think about some of the people who've been an encouragement to you in your journey of faith and maybe just reflect on them and what they've done to encourage you. So just just take some moments now to think of those who've encouraged you in your walk. I know I haven't given you very long there but I hope even that brief um, time to reflect on those people has been encouraging. Um, I just wanted to share with you and introduce to you one of my heroes of faith. Um, It was my grandpa, he's passed away now, but my grandpa James Jackson. And I just wanted to share a a few of the things that he encouraged me. I see him as one in that cloud of witnesses whose life has witnessed to me um, about perseverance and about following Christ in faith. First of all, he was a man of prayer. Uh, By all reports, he prayed for me from the moment I was born until the day he died, every day. He prayed for my wife for 20 years before I'd even met her every day and uh, that, that life of prayer was always something that was consistent of him. He was an encourager. He always had something to share from what God had been teaching him personally. He always took an interest in me and how I was getting along even when I was a, just a rebellious teenager who didn't really care anything about God. And he was faithful to the end. Uh, Grandpa's life was one that had many difficulties. Uh, They helped him grow. Um, But they also demonstrated that he was faithful in them. And even up to the last weeks and months of his life, I, I had the opportunity to have a few conversations with him. Even from his hospital bed, fragile, weak, tired, he was always urging me to stay faithful to Jesus and to walk on the narrow road. I think um, he was responsible for probably 5% of Telstra's income in the last few months of his life. He was just constantly on the phone. If you didn't get a call from him, um, he mustn't have known you because he was just literally making dozens upon dozens upon dozens of calls every day. Um, I know uh, just in those last few weeks he said to me, Rob, and he was always aware of his own frailty, his own sin, his own um, pride. He said, Rob... I'm sailing into the harbour, into the glory of heaven but I'm worried I'm just putting in rather than full steam ahead. And So it's just this sense of um, faithfulness, of consistency, of um, humility. He remains a great witness to me and I I think about him and sometimes when I'm not going so well, his example um, encourages me to, to walk with my head up and keep my eyes on Jesus. I wonder if you can read with me these first four verses again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So my first point this morning after a lengthy intro is to um, say running with perseverance. So consider your journey of faith wherever you're at with your faith as a marathon race. Many runners have gone before you Many runners have faced the same trials, the same struggles with sin and temptation and God is helpful to us just as he has helped them to persevere, he will also help us. One of the encouragements of chapter 11 is that these heroes of the faith are indeed just people like us. I remember reading Hebrews 11 and going, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit has missed out some key details of these heroes of the faith's life. I don't see any flaws, don't see any failures. Pretty sure some of these guys had some pretty significant dirt on their record. And that's one of the great encouragements because despite all their struggles, all their failures, all their temptations, in the end, because they trust in Jesus, because they follow Him and look to Him, they're not defined by their failures. They're defined by their faith. But of course, the ultimate example of perseverance through struggle and of victory over sin is Jesus himself. Let me just make a few comparisons to some of those chapter 11 heroes of the faith and Jesus himself. So in faith, Abel brought a blood sacrifice for his own sins. But Jesus gave his own blood for everyone else's sins. In faith, Abraham lifted the knife to kill his son. But a ram was provided to take the place of Isaac. 2,000 years later, when God lifts a knife, there was no one to take Jesus' place. God crushed his own son, and Jesus submits obediently to the Father to his final breath, too faithful to call on the legions of angels available to him in a moment. In faith, Moses chose to give up his princely identity and the treasures of Egypt to be identified and mistreated with God's people. But Jesus Christ, in very nature God, took on human flesh, emptied himself and became a servant even to the point of becoming sin for us when he hung on the cross. This is why Jesus is the author of our faith. His perfect witness, obedience and perseverance are a model of faith for us to follow. They're a validation of the faith of the Old Testament saints who looked forward to him And longed for the Messiah to be revealed, longed for the day when they could be made perfect by the future sacrifice of their Messiah King. So for us this morning, how can we apply these verses, these first four verses? For the original audience, their faith was being tested by persecution. Their temptation was to deny Christ or at least hide their association with him in order to minimize or escape the persecution. Their temptation was to throw in the towel, or drift along, keeping a low profile. Some had even decided it was a bit too hard. They'd given in to the temptation, rejected Christian faith, and returned to Judaism. What about us as Christians? Some 2,000 years later, what puts pressure on our faith? It's probably not persecution like it was for the original uh, readers. What temptations do we face? And need to persevere in. And what about you personally? What are the sins and struggles, the hindrances and the weights that weigh you down? To use the words in the middle of Hebrews 12, what are the areas in your faith where you have feeble arms and weak knees? Sometimes we ask ourselves the question as we go through our life, is it right or wrong? It's really not the only question we should be asking, is it? Based on these first few verses in Hebrews 12 we should also be asking the question does this help or hinder? Does this uplift me or does it weigh me down? You see a lot of things are not inherently sinful in themselves but when we put them to this test does it hinder, does it help, does it weigh me down, does it lift me up? It will be clearer than just saying is this good or bad, right or wrong, black or white? So some areas to think about. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what weighs you down. I don't know what slows you down from growing in your faith. But I do know what it's like to live in uh, modern Australian society. So certainly for me, and I think many of us, these little glowing rectangles in our pockets, the bigger ones in our lounge rooms, in our studies, hinder us from deeper intimacy with Jesus. Do we spend more time on social media than we do talking and listening to God? The average Facebook user, and there's more than a billion of them, spends 50 million, oh sorry, 50 minutes every day on the Facebook apps. 50 minutes every day. Not sure how long you're spending. The fastest growing demographic for social media globally, guess which age group? 65 plus. All the other age age groups have sort of plateaued out, but 65 plus is the the big growth area. (laughs) Certainly for me, and I think many of us, the overly busy lives that we live hinder us from deeper intimacy with Jesus. See, busyness can do a great job of disguising the fact that our faith is shallow, our prayerfulness weak, and that we're living largely self-dependent lives. Throw in a busyness and you can ignore all those things and Not even have the time to think about the fact that it's a problem. Certainly for me, and I think for many of us, the wealth and materialism of our times hinder us from deeper intimacy with Jesus. Jesus tells us that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. But list all your possessions on a piece of paper and cross out all the ones that you would happily live without. What hinders you, I don't know. Maybe some of those things, maybe something else that I've missed completely for you. But the key thing that we we get from these first four verses is that we should identify the sin which so easily entangles us. Identify those things which hinder us. The original word in the Greek is about running a race but a competitor in the race thwarting you in every direction you turn. So as you try to run with perseverance, these things are slowing you down. Maybe it's something that five years ago You should have changed and you didn't. Maybe it's 20 years ago. Some of these hindrances are long-term things that we really just fail to address. Encouragement of Hebrews is to address them. Maybe we could say the sentence, if I'm to become really intimate with Jesus in my faith, I need to stop X or start Y. I suspect for most of us there's some obvious starting points um, if we spend some time prayerfully thinking about that. First point running with perseverance. second point I've called difficulty is daddy's discipline. Difficulty is daddy's discipline. Let's read chapter 12, verse 5 to 13 together. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons, son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every one he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons or daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. And so here in Hebrews we're encouraged that, um, to think of difficulties uh, in the light of this truth. But I think sometimes when difficulties come our way we're tempted to think of them in other ways. We're tempted to feel in our response to them perhaps some of these responses. Maybe we feel indignant. We might think that life's unfair, that we haven't done anything to deserve the bad things that happened to us. Maybe we feel weary, that we've had our fair share of troubles already and have enough on our plate without yet another um, disaster or strife to deal with. Maybe we feel isolated. Perhaps we think God doesn't really love us or have our best interests at heart. Maybe we feel discouraged because we just feel like we can't cope. Head's underwater. We're not going to make it through. This passage makes uh, a powerful comparison to the discipline of a loving father. It's a comparison I understand. I've got um, three beautiful little kids who I love to bits um, and as a result I discipline my kids every single day of my life. Uh, not a day goes by when I'm not disciplining one of my children for something. Anyone want to guess what the fundamental reason is why I discipline my kids? <laughs> it's fun. I'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk later. <laughs> love. There's a lot of secondary reasons why I might discipline my kids but the primary reason is because I love them. If I say I love my kids but I don't discipline them, I don't love them. I'm an apathetic father, a back, background father, passive father but I can't say I deeply love my kids. The word discipline though for us generally has a negative association, doesn't it? It makes us immediately think of smacks, timeouts, being grounded for a month, Probably for Betty, it was two months. <laughs> but discipline, it's so much broader as a concept. The word itself goes all the way back to its Latin roots and, in essence, is about learning. Discipline, oh sorry, disciple, the word disciple obviously sounds similar, but it also has similar Latin roots. Yes, discipline involves correction, but it's also about instruction, guidance, training. When I discipline my children, I want only their good. I'm thinking about their future relationships. I'm thinking about their ability to be good employees. I'm thinking about their future parenting, but ultimately about their growth in faith and their relationship with God. I want to prepare them and nurture them to be ready to be deep in intimacy with God. But the thing is, I'm only a flawed that just trying to do my best. I make mistakes. Sometimes I discipline through a lens of my own impatience. Sometimes my discipline is limited by my own selfishness and weakness and failure. That's where the comparison in Hebrews chapter 12 breaks down, isn't it? Because our heavenly Father, unlike my fathering, is perfect. There's never an impure motive, a sense of impatience, inappropriate um, reasoning. I sometimes can read my kids wrong, he never reads us wrong. God knows what we can bear, what we need and how to communicate best with us. Any of us with loving parents would agree that they weren't perfect and made some mistakes but we're thankful that they trained us and that they disciplined us. We don't sit there thinking, oh, I wish I could have got away with some more bad character when I was growing up. I wish I could have just got away with a few more lazy habits and allowed them to develop to full strength. I wish my parents hadn't have corrected those. So how much more then should we trust in God To work in us through the difficulties and heartaches that He allows in our lives to shape us, train us, rebuke us, and correct us. This passage is realistic. I don't see anywhere here that it says paste a smile on and pretend it's all okay and just really enjoy that difficulty, because you know that's that's how we have to be as as plastic Christians. This passage says, discipline never feels pleasant at the time. It's only afterwards that we reap the benefits. So, this morning, if you're in difficulty, maybe some of you are facing, and I know some of you are facing difficult circumstances, just know that um, God wants to make you holy through them in the long term. You don't need to pretend everything's all right, that you've got it all under control, that you're coping just fine. You don't have to feel like an inferior Christian just because you're really struggling in the middle of those difficulties. but know that God's sovereign in them. Trust him that they are his discipline, that he will use them to make you more like Jesus. I've got a couple of quotes here, one from C.H. Spurgeon, which says, I'm afraid that all the grace that I've got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I've received from my sorrows and pains and griefs, is altogether un- incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in a minister's library. And a quote here from Leslie Weatherhead Like all men, I love and prefer the sunny uplands of experience when health, happiness, and success abound. But I have learned far more about God and about life and about myself in the darkness of fear and failure than I have ever learned in the sunshine. There are such things as the treasures of darkness. The darkness, thank God, passes. But what one learns in the darkness, one possesses forever. Just in closing today, um, we've taken some time to, to think about our struggles with sin and with things that might hinder us. And with maybe some of the difficulties that are thrust upon us externally that have got nothing to do with our own making. Hebrews encourages us to persevere like the saints of the past, knowing that a great reward and heavenly home is at the end of the tunnel, the dark tunnel of current circumstances or struggles. But we're not called to do this on our own. There's a number of places in Hebrews where we're actually commanded to encourage each other, in some places, daily. So that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You shouldn't be battling these things on your own. That's what our brothers and sisters in Christ are for, whether it's through a small group, whether it's through your spouse, whether it's through close confidants here at the church or elsewhere. I've actually been really blessed by um, catching up every few weeks with a couple of the other young dads in the church here. We've been going through Hebrews, finding that encouraging. But we also ask each other some pretty hard questions about our relationships, our work, our money, our sexual purity, our priorities. And we do that um, to strengthen each other, to help each other grow so that sin can't lurk in the shadows. I've certainly been growing and maturing as a result of catching up with those guys. After today, fellas, I think we'll start asking ourselves what's hindering you, what's weighing you down? Is there anything stopping your faith from soaring? And what can we do to pray for it or encourage you to throw it off in the light of looking at Jesus and his perseverance against opposition from sin? We're coming to the end of Hebrews. I wonder for you, um, what's been challenging? What's encouraged you from Hebrews? Rob's going to deliver the final message in Hebrews next week. Um, I've found great strength and encouragement from Hebrews. But uh, what about you? Is your light shining bright? Or maybe your light's grown a little dull? Have you been drifting away from God in recent times? Or are you running towards Him with eyes fixed on Jesus? My question to you and to me will we pursue Christ with everything we have? Will we? Get serious about identifying the things which are hindering us from really flourishing in our faith, from true fruitfulness, from being all that God wants us to be in Christ. Will we identify them? Will we get the support of others praying for us, encouraging us to throw those things away, to cast them aside? We have a great high priest who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, who is at God's right hand, living night and day to plead for us. To intercede for us to the Father. We have confidence to go into the the Holy of Holies, to the throne room in heaven itself, to ask for grace. And I know you, like me, all need that grace. I shared at the start of the message that um, my grandfather was a a real hero for my faith. I just want to share a a final memory I have um, associated with my grandfather. It's so after the funeral for my grandfather, actually. We had a burial service at the cemetery. Um, somewhat unusually, perhaps. Grandpa's three sons, my, my uncles, were actively involved in the burial. After the formalities, they started shoveling dirt uh, onto the coffin of my grandfather. And uh, after they'd been um, shoveling for a little while, um, some of us older cousins also um, took part and um, put dirt into the grave. And for me it was just an incredible sort of sense of closure, of dust to dust, of contemplating my own mortality. Um, But through tears I said to my Uncle Peter, I feel like so much has been lost to us today. So much wisdom, so much godliness, so much humility, so much support. His response to me was something along these lines. A mighty oak has fallen. But God can raise many more. It is up to us now to become the oaks for the next generation. I want to leave you with that thought. I want to ask you to be the oaks of faith for, you know, some of you older than me, for me, for my kids. Um, I want you to identify what hinders you from being all you need to be in Christ. Let's focus on him, not on Internally, not internally to us, not internally to our congregation. Let's lift our eyes to him and seek his help and grace as we seek to be the people he's called us to be. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful word from Hebrews we've experienced over the past several weeks. What a book. If we didn't have this book we'd be um, so much worse off, Father. Understanding the priesthood of Christ, his intercession for us, we are so blessed to be this side of the cross, to have the indwelling spirit to teach us and guide us into all truth, to help us in our battle against sin, to to help us to focus our eyes on Jesus. We're all weak, Father, we're all easily entangled by sin. There's no super Christians here. At whatever age and stage, of faith we're at. We need your grace. We need your help. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your spirit to identify the things which hinder us, that weigh us down. All of us have some things that are reasons why we're not as fruitful as we could be, why we're not as prayerful as we could be, why we're not as focused on souls being one for you as we could be. God, give us insight into our own hearts, into our own lives as we seek to identify these things. Raise up brothers and sisters around us to walk with us, walk beside us as we seek to become part of this cloud of witnesses that points to you, that witnesses that you are an all-surpassing treasure to us, that you are worth more than anything else in our lives. We pray for your help in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.